Welcome to Leverage Masters, airing weekly on Tuesdays at 12 Eastern and on demand on iTunes and Blog Talk Radio. Leverage Masters hosts Jack Humphrey and Gina Gaudio Graves discuss leverage strategy with guest leveragists. Be sure to subscribe to Leverage Masters in your favorite podcatcher for great tips and case studies on using leverage to achieve your biggest goals much faster. Can you guys hear me? Yes. We can now. Oh, my goodness. I'm sitting here talking and nobody's hearing me. Well, welcome, everyone, to another episode of Leverage Masters. I am your co-host, Gina Gaudio-Graves, the co-founder of TheLeveragists.com and Divisio.com, the all-new affiliate network for people doing good. We have a fantastic show lined up for everybody. We have my co-host and all-around partner in crime, Jack Humphrey, joining us. Hello, Jack. Hello. It's good to hear your voice. I knew we could hear you, you know, vibrationally, but this is much better. (laughs) Too funny. Well, we have a fantastic guest lined up for everyone today, so I'm going to let you do the honors. All right. We have today Dr. Roberta Shaler. She's a relationship consultant. Uh, uh, the Relationship Help Doctor, and she provides urgent and ongoing care for individuals, couples, companies, and even the United States Marines. She works with partners, execs, adult children, and coworkers of relentlessly difficult people. Man, I need to talk to you. She calls them hijackals and defines them as people who hijack relationships for their own purposes while relentlessly scavenging them for power, status, and control. Hmm. Sounds like someone maybe everybody knows. (laughs) Dr. Saylor offers insight strategies and support you need to reclaim hope, confidence, and your sanity when dealing with the constant uncertainty and jaw-dropping behaviors of hijackals in your life. She is the author of 16 books, including the new e-book series, Escaping the Hijackal Trap, The Definitive Guide to Dealing with Difficult People. Dr. Saylor, welcome. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, that was some stuff. I mean, I don't think we've had a guest. We certainly haven't had anybody on yet to talk about hijackals. Well, I don't think so. (laughs) So first off, we like to start everybody out each week with what is right now getting you out of bed every morning with a fire burning in your belly to greet the day? Well, I think in the bio you read what gets me up in the morning, Jack. I really know that it is an epidemic of what I call relentlessly difficult, disturbing people in our world. And I want to help people recognize what's actually happening to get the strategies, the skills, and the understanding that they need in order to take effective action. From a business perspective, in promoting your business and getting the word out about what it is you do and how you do it and who you can help, what's your favorite uh, way or ways to to do that? How do you get attention for your business? Well, of course, my website at forrelationshiphelp.com, but also my YouTube channel by the same name, For Relationship Help, and my iTunes channel, strangely enough, by the same name. Uh, And I, I do a lot. I blog. I do Facebook Lives. I do all kinds of things to get this word out because many people are thinking what's going on in their life, which is causing them to second-guess themselves and question their sanity, is their fault. 
And it's really important to be able to figure out when it is your fault and you're contributing to it and when it's the other person whose behavior is crazy-making. Is it always your fault to a certain degree when it's you're allowing other people to control how you feel or you're allowing that to be the dominant thing or are there legitimately relentlessly awful people that no matter how <laughs> well-centered and balanced you are, they have a bad effect on us? Oh, it's definitely the second, Jack. Uh, <laughs> yes, we we are responsible for teaching people how to treat us. We are 100% responsible for that. But hijackles have an affinity for hijackal bait. That's what I call it. People who have been raised in a particular way to please other people, to second-guess themselves, to put other people first, and they will continuously allow a hijackal to put them down, and they will begin to second-guess themselves. There must be something terribly wrong with me. So we need the distinction between knowing it's being self-reflective and knowing what's going on with me, but also being able to say, whoa, stop here. I am wanting to be compassionate, but I absolutely have to stop condoning or enabling this bad behavior coming at me. Is it always overt? Is it easy to tell? Or is there is there no. a mixture or is it is it like sly, sly devil kind of stuff, controlling? Oh, it's the, all of that and more. Uh, <laughs> the thing is that a hijackal, one of the hallmarks of hijackals, and there are 10 that I cover in my membership program where people can come and really get the inside scoop on the ex- exclusive uh, information. Uh, but the number one is that a hijackal always must win, whether we're talking about whether breakfast is cooked correctly, whether which restaurant we're going to, or something far larger like where we're going to live. They must, must, must win in every moment, in every circumstance, at every time. And mm-hmm. So you're not going to find one of these uh, folks running around being really super gracious and maybe even letting you cut in line in front of them in life, just anything, just any natural mass courtesy or anything like that, it, it's not going to be common for this type of person? No, that's not the case, actually. Um, they Uh-oh. behave their worst with the people they say they love the most. So they oh. will put on a grand show in public, at work, at church, uh, anywhere, and then... They will absolutely insidiously destroy your life at home. And when you go to tell your friends or coworkers or whatever is happening, they will say, oh, no, it couldn't possibly or she couldn't possibly because she's the salt of the earth. He's the most wonderful person I've met. You know, I, I don't want to get political or anything. Um, there's a certain person that I saw on TV giving a speech one time, and um, and maybe you've heard of him. I won't mention his name, but he turned around to the crowd behind him, and in that crowd was his wife, um, who immediately started to glow when he was looking back toward her or at her. Her face brightened up, and she smiled, and, and then I don't know what he said because it was just a shot without his audio, and... Uh, and then he turned back around to the crowd, and when he wasn't facing her, she, her face immediately went back to blackness, darkness, despair. I mean, it was awful how quickly her smile, which then you realized was immediately fake, because he was, you know, and it just went back to, ooh, it was really weird to see. And I'm like, what's going on between those two people? And I have an inkling that maybe there's something to what you do and how you work with people and what I saw there, because that was totally weird. Well, you would be absolutely right, Jack. I saw it, too. And uh, in in that particular case, we have the mega ultimate supreme hijackal. Wow. So there's like a so he gets probably a special hat and everything in that case, right? Exalted and everything. Oh, all all of that, and believe me, that that person believes that about himself. 
<laughs> yeah. So, uh, so um, well, how much of this has to do with the, with ego? You know, ego is a really, really big thing, right? It's it's something that if we allow it, can control everything we do, how we present ourselves to people, how people present themselves to us, how much of that's honest and truthful as opposed to what we think people want us to see or we want other people to see. I mean, you're really dealing with ego here more than anything, right, or am I wrong? Well, it depends how you view ego, but what's important about this is that, and why I mentioned compassion earlier, is that to become a hijackal, you have to have had some very difficult circumstances and perhaps trauma in your young life, or you were raised by someone who had hijackal tendencies, or you were treated extremely poorly by the people that were supposedly loving you. So you learn these coping strategies. However, in a very small percentage of people, there are DNA markers for this. So it's important for us to understand that this is something that is homegrown in many cases because even if you have the DNA markers, if you don't have that early life difficulty and trauma, it will it will not exacerbate. It will lie dormant. So we're really talking about survival skills, and that's what this person has acquired. And this way of being is the only way they know in order to survive and thrive. And it's unfortunate, and they believe truly that they are absolutely right. They believe that everyone else is wrong. They're fighting for their life with every breath. And it's a sad situation for which we can have compassion. But we must learn that we do not condone or enable the behaviors. Well, I've been putting a protective shell around myself (laughs) with meditation over the last couple of years, and I've gotten really quite regular with it every single day, at least 20 minutes a day. And in a general sense, so many things in my life, and and in particular how I relate to other people, how they relate to me, seems to have changed just because I'm meditating. I haven't done anything to them or in in their direction. I've only been looking inward and focusing on myself. And it seems to have even changed the way people, not only the way I walk around and deal with everyday life and people, but some some type, in some cases how those people deal with me, and yeah. I'm really happy about that. Is there anything in more in particular that you do to help people with that protective coating that they have to put around themselves <laughs> to make sure that that stuff doesn't stick when it gets on them? Yes, I certainly help people get a Teflon exterior to hijack holes. <laughs> but meditation is a good way to uh, demonstrate to yourself that you matter. That's the number one thing that we have to do because hijackal baits, those people who are raised to be attractive to hijackals, are people who don't usually pay attention to themselves. They don't give themselves credit. They don't take time for themselves. They don't stop and say, could it possibly not be me? It could be the other person. I had a person, I offer free half-hour consultations, and a person wrote this morning, and said, here's what's going on, and she described a new person in her life, and she said, he has all these credentials, Um, what do I do? And I wrote back and said, credentials may not have anything to do with it, it may not be you. And she said, oh, I'm so glad to hear that. And that was a healthy response, because Isaac Obate will take it on. So when you do something like meditating, you're saying, I'm important, I matter, I'm going to take that time for myself. I'm going to feed myself elsewhere, not looking for the hijackal to feed me emotionally. And that's a very good thing to do. But the next thing you need to have are the insights that open your eyes to the patterns of behavior. And that's a lot of my work. I do webinars. I have a coaching program that starts every month to help people understand that what's happening, what's really happening, and see the patterns for what they are and learn to manage those patterns in more effective, productive, healthy ways. 
how do you Jeff, can I jump in for just one minute here? Yeah, I had a feeling you were going to <laughs> on this one. <laughs> Go for it. So I just want to make it clear for our listeners for a minute. Is what we're talking about something that they may have heard described as narcissistic personality disorder by chance? Well, yes, it is, um, and let me tell you why I chose the term hijackals in response to your question, Gina. Um, I have a Ph.D. in psychology, but I find that people go online and they're looking for a label, and then they think they understand the person, and then that that creates a separation that's difficult. I created the term hijackals as a non-clinical term for many people, whether they're narcissists, sociopaths, psychopaths, narcopaths, borderlines, whatever, um, whatever the diagnosis, it doesn't matter. We have to learn to cope. And so, yes, we just need to know that all hijackals drink from the same pool of traits, and we don't need to label them. We need to be able to learn and then manage I completely disagree. I completely agree with you, Roberta. I, I really do. And I have so many hijackles in my life these days that yeah, I definitely know from firsthand experience how difficult it can be to cope. And Jack's had to live with me the last year as I dealt with probably the most extreme example of a hijackle I've ever had in my life. And it's been challenging to live with me the last year, hasn't it, Jack? Yeah, and that's mostly just phone stuff. <laughs> we're, <laughs> we're thousands of miles away from each other, and it's still not the easiest thing. I mean, you want your partner to be on, you know, and, and I hope that I am as on as I can possibly be as much as possible. And when one of them is going through something like that, you just feel helpless, like, you know, um, well, I hope this person moves on and gets out of her life so I can have my partner back. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's very depleting because it's a downward spiral. You know, you really feel like life is is headed for the drain often. <laughs> How do I get out of this? And and it it does take help, and that that's the thing. It's really important never to blame yourself. It's important to pick yourself up and turn around and get help. It's something you can't see yourself clearly. You can read all of the blogs that I have for relationship help. You can watch the the videos on YouTube. But until you actually come and, and get into the material, it's very, very difficult to accept what's really going on and what you need to do. And even when somebody is in a relationship with this person and they come to me, I say, do your own work first. We don't just get rid of the hijackal. That is not going to help because you'll just attract another one. You have to do your own work to learn how to hijackal-proof yourself. So, yes, it's very difficult when somebody gets into a... <clears throat> a maelstrom of being with a hijackle and then you're trying to help but that's not your expertise you're just trying to be supportive and it's very very difficult so I understand exactly the dynamic you're discussing I would love absolutely yeah Gina do you have anything else because I wanted to ask her about a marketing thing in regards just one last thing and that is it seems to me like over especially the last year, I seem to be locating more and more hijackles than ever before. Is there a reason that this is happening at such a huge rate these days? Well, first of all, the statistics show that we have increased the number of hijackles in our world that are diagnosed now uh, by 10%. Um, but let me let me help people understand that hijackals almost never go for help, and if they do go for help, it will be in a couple situation where they go to the counselor, the therapist, or a consultant like me, and their their reason for doing that 
is to seduce and manipulate the professional to get them on their side. And when that doesn't happen, then they leave. So they're not there to get help for themselves because everybody needs to understand a hijackal believes they are bulletproof and perfect. So they are not going to go for help on their own. They will only go for help to have power over the professional, to collude with the professional, to uh, bring more pain to the person who is their partner. My goodness, Jack, no wonder why. You can take it back now, Jack. I'm dying to because this is so fascinating from a marketing perspective in so many angles. Angle number one, you, doctor, are in an area where it's really, really strange. From a marketing perspective, you're dealing with so many kinds in situations where people don't know what they don't know. They, your narcissists don't know, or your, your hijackers don't know that they even have a problem. They're just going to win somebody over. Your victims of that person don't know what to call anything. I think the narcissistic personality disorder awareness has come up in the last couple of years for that particular person um, that we talked about earlier uh, <laughs> and his campaign and everything. And, and that started to, I mean, none of us knew anything about that. Gina called me one day and said, do you know what narcissistic personality disorder is? I'm like, heck no, what the heck is that? And there's just a huge amount of unawareness, complete lack of awareness of what, I mean, I think it's growing. I think it's getting better. And I want to get your um, crack on that because you're in the middle of this maelstrom of 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 people who don't know what's wrong with them, what's wrong with someone else, they don't know what the, the labels are. And, it's, and as an aside or included in this, it's brilliant that you created your own term from a marketing perspective alone uh, because – and, and for the reasons that you stated, to simplify it and to make it something uh, so that people aren't running into really dry articles like you read all the way through school and probably wrote a couple on the real clinical stuff. Nobody can identify with that. And plus, once you have your own term that nobody else is using that does wonders for you in search and branding and everything else, but that's a little bit of an aside. Going back to the... How do you survive in a world where nobody involved really knows how to ask for help or that they need help and how to label any of the things or do any searches or do anything to help themselves? Like, how do they wander into your office, so to speak, without, without any of that information? Well, it's a good question, Jack. Um, there's a few answers to what you said. Um one of the hallmarks of a hijackal is that they actually it's it's not one of the ten but it is one and and to use the person that we have been referring to, a hijackal will do something like this which is truly crazy making. They will project on you what they're most afraid of in themselves or what they're actually doing that they don't want you to know. So as an example that everyone would understand, all the way through the campaign, there was from that person, this election is rigged. And all the way through, I am hearing, oh, you're rigging the election. But if you don't understand about hijackals, you would think that there was a good reason to think that the opponent perhaps was rigging the election. But what they do is they they tell you what it is that they're doing by what they blame you for. So it's very important to understand that. And it's so easy to be taken in by them because, first of all, as I said earlier, they look for particular kinds of people that they believe that they can completely manage and then w- what they're doing is another one of the hijackles, uh, hijinks or hallmarks, which is this incredulity that they do something and everybody who is somewhat emotionally healthy goes, who does that? Who says that? 
And there is an incredulity that then causes you to try to normalize it by rationalizing or justifying or making excuses for what the hijackal just did instead of being outraged. So when I'm talking, and one of the ways to answer your question about marketing that I get the word out is talking to people like you and Gina. Like, let's get the word out. It's happening. It's happened to you, Gina. It's happened to most everybody. And most insidious about this is that you could have been raised by a hijackal, turned into hijackal bait, and you don't know it. You don't know it until you come to something that I'm doing and say, do these things fit how you think about yourself? Did this happen in your early life? Is this how your mother or father or whomever the authority figures in your home behave towards you? And then people go, yes, well, you were shaped. And now is your opportunity to have another look and to make better decisions that will be emotionally healthy and provide you a good foundation to be in a healthy relationship. So the marketing is all about getting the word out. I do as many summits as I can that are on point. I do uh, my shows. I've got a radio show that's starting in a few weeks called the Relationship Help Show. And there's there's always that opportunity to speak at major conferences, small conferences, anywhere that somebody says, my audience needs to hear this. I'm just thinking you need a bigger megaphone because all of America could be your client. Literally the whole country has gone through an incredibly traumatic event, and on both sides, not just the one side or the other, but it's traumatic to have either you're happy about someone who got elected or you're not, uh, And but if you're happy about it, you're stressed because there's a huge number of people in the country who are saying this isn't legitimate. That's got to be stressful. It was stressful for me when my favorite president was in and people were saying, you know, uh, the opposite about him. I'm like, wait a minute. That's not fair. He won. We get to have a president, you know. So I think it's stressful on all sides. And that this that that increase of 10% seems really low to me, but you described it as they don't get diagnosed very easily because they're not there to be diagnosed for what they came in for because it seems like it's much more rampant to me. It, from the stories from Gina and the, my own experience, and I wonder what you would say about the way our society is today with the instant gratification stuff, the education. Where does it come from that there are so it just seems, I mean, it's not like it was. It's not like we're just seeing something that's always been there to the degree that it is now, at least not to me. I feel like it's grown, grown, and I feel like it's got something to do with our our electronic instant gratification world something. Is, is there any truth to any of that feeling? Well, yes, I, I think there is. Also, we've been through a period of time where we... Economically, we changed and we started indulging our children quite a bit. And we went through times when both parents are working and they give everything they can to their children, whatever they want. We get children who feel entitled. Uh, We have that going on. They will take that to the nth degree. We have uh, people who are... focused on what can I get, what can I get, what can I get, and so they're willing to trample over people, so they work on the margins of becoming a hijackal. There are people who are desperate who do the same thing. Then we have a whole lot of people who were, as I said earlier, raised by hijackals or had a hijackal influence in their life or were abused, and we have a large number of those people. Then we have the people who are addicted, and addiction often goes with hijackal behavior. You'll often find that a hijackal also has a substance or alcohol abuse problem or are addicted to porn or sex. <laughs> addicted, addicted, addicted. The word addicted, no matter what it is, is something that you have to notice because that means 
that something is more important than I am, that something is worth doing whatever I need to do to have, right? And so we, we've shaped some of this because we haven't stopped this. And just to add on to what you said, Jack, um, the, the problem is that uh, many times in our society, people don't go for help, and in particular, hijackles don't go. You know, a little statistic speaking outside of hijackles that people might be interested in is, do you know, Jack, that the average person, couple, has the problem for six years before they get help? Six years you put yourself on ice and you have misery, and that comes from the Gottman Institute, that figure. They did the research. So if I'm willing to live for six years with a problem before I get help, just think of the damage I've done. So now think about a person who was raised to be hijackal bait. That's inculcated in their development. They're not going back and questioning that. They have a manifesto for their life, which was made for them before they had rational linear thought and the development of the prefrontal lobes fully. So they don't go back and question that. They just burgeon on through life, and that's why we're seeing so many more. Well, that was a perfectly understandable. I get it. I get that. I mean, it's a it's a complicated topic. I mean, you have to go through an awful lot of different situation, contexts, and personality type things, and but it makes sense. I knew something was. I mean, I think people can just feel that that we're in uncharted territory, you know, societally and in uh, so many ways. This being one of the really big ones. Because I think this drives an awful lot of the way people make decisions, the way people work their businesses, whether or not they're super ethical or super not ethical in their businesses. People owes you everything. Uh, you're going to run a business a lot different though, than a business that you are there to serve the world. And it's kind of – we've had discussions with people who are into um, more of a metaphysical approach to life, a spiritual approach, and um, – and it would be interesting to get your feedback from, with your perspective, on the battle that seems. If you even see that there is one, first of all, I'm not going to put words in your mouth, but I feel that there's a battle between. I don't want to say anything cliche like good and evil, although I guess I just did, but the battle between people who who are outwardly concerned about the world and giving and you know a little bit more spiritual and seeking, and then people who feel like there's something to go back to, like we ever were as, you know, moving to refugees and immigrants and things like that. I mean, we're never as bad as what they're trying to do today. And it's not America. It's Brexit. <laughs> All over the world, things are popping up and people are just conflicting. And I've heard said by guests before and other people that I've talked to, that when you're getting close to a solution, things get a lot more tense. And it, it seems like the world is getting to a point where we're trying to make a decision about what we want to be as human beings. And it's disturbing one group of human beings, and that disturbs the other group who thinks it should be obvious that we should go forward in their way. Do you feel there's a battle raging right now that between those? Is, is the conflict getting more heated or heightened? because we're coming to a breaking point of some kind? Or do you think on those macro levels very much? Oh, I think on those macro levels a lot, Jack. <laughs> because I'm it's, you did. It's, it's, um, I don't feel that this is the fight of good versus evil because I don't actually believe in evil. But um, I think that, you know, what, is, what, what did that person say that, you know, the world is, I don't remember the exact quote, but when good people do nothing, that's a problem. Um, yeah. And I think that a lot of good people, people who are well-intended, people who have the best interests of all concerned in mind, people who want the world to be a happier, brighter, more hopeful place, um, often are not able to break through this uh, hijackal barrier, if you like, 
and they're unwilling to after a while because it takes real guts. So if you, you know, sometimes I have to tell you that sometimes I'll be working with the partner of a hijackal or the ex of a hijackal or particularly someone who wants to be the ex of a hijackal. And that hijackal will go and do something awful to me because they want to get me so that I will go away, right? So you have to have some uh, fortitude to even walk out and say, no, this is not a good idea. This does not move us forward. And that's what I meant about the difference between compassion and enabling and condoning behavior because we have compassion for people who have been terribly hurt. But if we condone and enable their behaviors, that's what happens in your question. Nobody stands up to it. Nobody really gets it. And that's why my work is so so much what gets me up in the morning <laughs> is that I need people to get it. This is actually happening. And when in one of my courses or the private sessions or the coach, group coaching, I say, has this ever happened to you? And the room goes, oh, yeah. They've never thought about it. They've never yeah. understood it from that point of view. And all of a sudden, it clicks. And there well, are many the most, pieces of that. That's the most... That's what I was kind of alluding. You said it so much better than I did earlier. But I was trying to allude to the fact that there's so much you don't know what you don't know. And I think one of the things that is really defeating, and you might have seen this quite a bit with your clients in the last couple of years, is that it seems to be so complex with problems. And, and But what I've come to understand is that it's really complex, but it's complex with um, symptoms of a problem or a, of a very much smaller set of actual problems and that all the confusion and all the self-defeating, like you wake up in the morning and you're like, holy crap, I just can't. I just can't. I can't. It's too much. It's just, it's just like drinking from seven fire hoses every single day. And if you think of all of that stuff as, all separate problems, for me, that's what's really defeating. That's what really gets me limp. Like, I just can't go on. I'm not going to be able to contribute or anything. And I think the aha moment for me is when I learned what you just said and how you just open people's eyes to what the real source of a lot of this stuff is. It's empowering. Because now I look at all that fire hose and stuff and realize that it's all 99.9% symptoms of one problem. They're symptoms of a very small set of problems, and it's not all this impossible to deal with, impossible to take action, uh, as, a, you know, being a good person and trying to do the thing the world to better the world around us. When, when you look at it that way, is, it, is that somewhat, am I getting close um, to, the, to the bell? Absolutely. Absolutely, because when you understand the... <clears throat> Well, the the basic ten hallmarks of a hijackal, but then you understand the refinements on that and what it looks like and what you feel like as a result of it, and you have that pointed out to you, all of a sudden you have some hooks to hang that on it, and you go, oh, that's all in the same closet, right? Just like you said, oh, that all belongs over there. That's all about that. And so I don't have as many problems as I thought I had when I can put them all in the same cupboard, right? Yeah. And and I can see them, and I can see them all hanging there, and I go, oh, that's that, and that's that. And then I have in another cupboard the strategies to to deal with that that allows me to come out of it feeling healthy and empowered, that I no longer feel like a victim, where I'm no longer being put down or manipulated or exploited or seduced, I'm saying no. And a lot of that, Jack, has to do with having healthy boundaries. And we talk about that so easily. You know, we say, oh, well, everybody needs boundaries. But have you really, really looked at what boundaries are? I did a Facebook Live yesterday that's on my page at the Relationship Help Doctor on Facebook. And that's the name of my page, Relationship Help Doctor. And I did a Facebook Live on boundaries yesterday. Now, when we're dealing with, with hijackals, I think it's very important for us to understand the absolute need for boundaries. You have to know when to say no. 
And you have to know how to say no in a way that they can hear. And believe me, they don't want to hear it. So you have to have strategies and you have to have support to keep using those strategies because eventually they will make a change. And so it's very important for us to understand that we need to have boundaries about what's okay with us and what's not okay with us and be able to express that clearly and maintain those boundaries. This is also awesome. It's so tempting to keep going with you and, and get all of this free help. Um, but <laughs> but I do need to provide, I, I think some of our listeners most assuredly are in difficult niches um, or, or have, they, they solve problems that people don't know they have, right? And that's difficult for marketing because how do you do keyword research? They don't know what they're searching on. So you have to get really deep and much deeper in your keyword research um, to figure out, it, it's sort of like landing something on Mars, the math that it takes to do that, all of the eventualities, all of the different things you have to come up with, how you gravitate past the moon and pick up speed. And it's not like just landing on the moon. For most businesses, if you're a plumber, you know what your keywords are going to be. In your situation, in many of our listeners' situations, they solve problems like you do where people don't know how to search for the answer or that they even need to search in the first place. So what Gina invented was the vortex model of doing business, and she um, and, and she talks about that. Uh, we teach people in the bachelor's program all the time about how how you reach out and touch people, like how you get for your uh, getting invited to events and things like that. How do you couch it in the first place to get the interest there, so you can get people in the room with keywords and ideas and, and a, a promise of a discussion that they're going to be very interested in, so that you can get them in the room or on your page or on your Facebook page or wherever and then have the discussion you know they need to have that they didn't know they needed to have. From a marketing perspective, what kind of backflips have you done to, to do that? And what kinds of things do you offer uh, in order to get that invite so then you can blow everybody's mind, including the people who invited you, like you did today with us? Well, that's a good question because I did have to do backflips, and we have a 44% increase in our traffic after those backflips. So um, what, ha- what had to happen was people are very familiar with the term difficult people. So difficult people, and what I call the people that I help people deal with are relentlessly difficult, disturbing people. So those words are there, but what does that pull down to? It pulls down to high conflict, uh, verbal abuse, emotional abuse. All of those things we're optimized for throughout the website. The same terms that we use on Facebook or LinkedIn and all the other social media platforms. So people find me. The other thing that I do that's very important to my work is that I go into other groups that are have similar populations, and I simply make comments in there. And I don't coach other people's people. <laughs> I'll just make comments. And what it seems to happen is people then click on my name, and they come and find what I do. But I make valuable contributions to other people's work, and therefore people then find value and they come to find me. So it's a, it's a slow process because, as you so rightly said, Jack, um, people don't know what they don't know. All they know is they're in pain and they need relationship advice, and they need relationship advice, which is another term we use, and they need relationship advice about difficult people. So we talk about the pain points. Also in our keywords, we'll use all those clinical terms so that people who are have done some digging around and they think that they're with a narcissist, for instance, they'll use that so they can find us that way. But I don't talk about that very much. Certainly, I'll talk with an individual client about that or in a group coaching program where that comes up in the discussion, but that's not my focus in my marketing. Wow. So I love the balance in Western is just like this one because 
the topic, the content is awesome. What you do is awesome. And then the how you do it, you just delivered huge bang. If anybody listening now or on the recording feels like you don't know exactly 100% what we just said, what you just said, what you just talked about, and how to apply that to your own business, you need to listen to this again. Back up about five or ten minutes and listen to it again because you just described a real-world uh, situation that we try to walk clients through all the time, uh, trying to figure out how you make that connection when, you know, it's not exactly uh, the Sistine Chapel with the fingers touching. It's not that easy, <laughs> right? And a lot of businesses are like that. A lot of people are out there trying to figure out how to make that initial connection in a meaningful way, and and that's the thing, is it still got to connect to the back end, your, your, your main content, what you really want to talk about. If you just use any kind of tactic to reach out and grab people, they're not going to be targeted or interested enough to stick around when you get down to the meat, and they're not going to be your best clients or customers. So really, everybody listen and pay attention to that because it was a real-world example, and I love it. You're just uh, you're batting a 1,000 today. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good to hear. I, it's always good to get input. You know, another thing that I did um, that I am a relationship expert on yourtango.com, and I was part of their PR program, which meant that I my writing got in front of a lot of people. So when you go to forrelationshiphelp.com, you'll just get a small smattering of all the logos that are there where my articles have been syndicated because I had to reach my audience. And you're so right, Jack. This is a difficult way to have to proceed to move marketing. <laughs> it's not obvious. It's not... Everybody goes, oh, yes, I get it. I know that. It's not intuitive. It's Many people are not even knowing what's happening to them, and they're so confused. So I have to be sure that I have multiple channels for people to find me. And that's why I'm starting the new radio show, so that people always have a, a way to find it. And when I do the show, I'm actually doing it on video, even though it's a radio station, a syndicated radio station. I'm doing it uh, pre-recorded on video so that those same shows can be on YouTube and on iTunes as well. Just to give that person who's browsing around a moment where they go, oh, my goodness, she knows what's happening in my life. Yeah. Well, to get to that point is, is is magic, right? That's that's your that's your end goal is to get to that point where they do the aha moment and they realize they're talking to the right person. You knew they would be talking to the right person if you could only get them to the point to talk to you, right? And and to that magical point where all right, they're locked in on me now. They're paying attention, and now I can help, and I know what's going to happen here. It's going to happen because it happens with all my clients or the majority of my clients, and Sometimes it takes longer, and sometimes, you know, people have to come back. And I'm not talking about your business. This is anybody doing consulting, anybody doing uh, one-on-one or group coaching or any of those kinds of things. And um, so I was trying to – I wanted to go into a little bit more of the leverage stuff. One of the things that you obviously have experienced is you can cut through a lot of that preparatory stuff. Like if somebody comes off of a keyword, off of search – and onto one of your pages for the first time, from what you've said, I know you've built a whole infrastructure of bringing them along and educating them up to the point where they become a, a good potential client. And there's a lot of stuff there. There's tweets, pages, and there's PDFs and audios and everything that you've had to create to educate somebody up from total green to the level where they could, you know, go further with you. One of the things that cuts through almost all of that is a really good strong referral from a friend or an associate, right? Yes. So how do you how do you leverage that? Because I know it's enticing to you because it's like, wow, they didn't have to go through all that. I didn't have to wait for them to become a client for the time that it takes them to get through the education process that I've already had set up because once they come as a recommendation speeds through the whole process. How do you leverage recommendations or referrals um, in, your, in your network? 
Well, I spend a good portion of every week, um, a very intentional portion of every week, talking to people like yourselves or reaching out to people in um, in the tribe that I belong to, which is the Evolutionary Business Council, and saying, let's deepen our relationships so we know what each other does so we can cross-refer. That's really important. The other thing, you know, dealing with a referral, when I get a referral, I get a client because if well, yeah. it's ready to work. I mean, I will get a client immediately because they've all they've come from somebody who said you need this and they trust their friends or the professional they're working with. So a referral is easy to handle because I can send them to various places where they can say, oh, yes, I can see I the very best next step for me is to work with you. But I build those relationships. I mean, everything, there is nothing in the world that is not relationship. It is the basis of the world. Yeah. Maybe the other thing, Jack, I wanted to mention is, you know, going to your marketing question. The most important thing I can answer for people is how to spot a hijackal. And so I have a free ebook at hijackals.com called that, How to Spot a Hijackal. So if somebody is wondering if the person they have in mind fits this description, they can find out right away at hijackals.com. And that's hijackals.com. Nice. Excellent. Yeah, so, so yeah, getting people moving and, and, and uh, there's so many facets to this. It might be a little bit, if somebody were to listen to this who was really new to business, I'm sure it could be very intimidating because we've just, in a very quick way, outlined a massive amount of work. Can you allay some people's fears in that and let them know that you worked up to all of this? I mean, <laughs> you were successful way before you had this huge infrastructure of all this stuff together, all this material. I mean, you still were doing well as you were growing, right? Yes. So what's important is recognition, and you can only go as quickly as you can go. You don't know until you know. You know, there, there's no blame in this. There's no, oh, I should have seen it, none of that, because you couldn't see it. So first of all, if that's you listening, take a breath and relax and know you couldn't have understood this one minute earlier. You weren't ready. You weren't in the right place. It's a beginning for you. And then begin to educate yourself. Go and get the free ebook. Know that you're with a hijackal. Um, oh, my, that opens your eyes. That allows you then to go and look deeper, to learn a few things. And just wade into that water. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to change your relationship. Particularly don't tell the hijackal that you're doing this work. Um, just begin to see that the construct of your life that you've been living with and suffering from is not necessarily the only way to construct a life. So, oh, there is another way. Oh, if this is happening, try this strategy. You can go at the speed that you're comfortable, and believe me, it's a cha-cha. You're going to go two steps forward and one step back, or a samba, or, you know, whatever. But as long as you're going two steps forward and one step back, you're still making progress. And it's not easy because the hijackle doesn't want you to individuate. The hijackle wants you to stay within their power structure. So you have to do it in a systematic, step-by-step way. One of the books that I wrote is called Kaizen Couples. And Kaizen is a Japanese word for small incremental improvement. And that's what we have to do. We have to make small incremental improvements that stick. And so it's a gentle process, but it's a persistent process and a consistent process. And that's what I support people to do. One final question for me, I think, and I can't guarantee that. I can make no promises. But the one that I'm thinking of right now, the one that comes up um, 
when you hear someone say, and you brought it up, and Zen's being in the, <laughs> so this is your fault, but uh, <laughs> uh, I'm really into that. I'm really, I, I hear from all kinds of different teachers uh, all the time, every day, reading all the books and everything, and, and they're always pointing to the work that you do with yourself, the work that you do within, that, uh, and, and they make no, um, they're very into the fact that that is, in fact, what will change the world because basically we've tried everything else. <laughs> we've literally tried to change other people, to change our externalities, to, to make our lives all about what happens to us instead of what we make happen and what we want to do. And I mean, we've pretty much, as a human race, we've, we've plumbed the depths of that sort of experimentation about how we can shape the world, and it's not worked out very well. So I'm really into somebody who says, you know, uh, you can't change somebody else. If you're in a relationship or around somebody who's really disruptive or disturbing or, um, you know, all of your keywords that, that you use, uh, there's really only yourself to work on. You believe from everything that you have seen over all the years and all the people you've helped, and, the, you know, and, and we have established that you're a very macro thinker as well about the world and maybe the work that you do and how it relates to the bigger world. When you turn people loose to meditate, to do all the things that you help them to do, to, to work on themselves with that Teflon coating, and do you really see that as a way to change the world itself? If enough of us and groups all over the world are working on it from that perspective, you see us being able to reverse this sharp increase in the problems associated with the type of person that you're dealing with, the hijackers? Well, let's put it in the macro level, as you said. If we have a lot more people who are a lot more emotionally healthy, we are going to have a much better shot at reaching critical mass. If people do nothing, nothing's going to happen. So for each one of us to take on the project of our lives, each one of us has the opportunity of a lifetime, and we seize that to make it the best we can possibly do to live a personally empowered life, confident and happy and centered and healthy, then yes, of course, we are going to gather with other like-minded people, and we are going to say no to the things that are unlike that. I'm so glad to hear that. That makes me happy. Because <laughs> I can see that there's a lot of people out there. There's a lot of things. You know, The Alchemist was the first that I'd ever read where the conclusion to the idea that groups of people from all over the earth that want to, you know, do all kinds of different things, but just to be a positive, you know, to, to counteract all of the negative in the world. And uh, and ever since that idea got lodged in my mind, I've just been enamored with it. Because it just really is the only thing in my gut. Language doesn't serve the purpose of conveying what it felt like to me. You know that deep truth you can say, but you can't really even convey it. No words apply. And that's where it hit me. It always hit me there. And I was just been fascinated by that. Now I got more proof from from you. <laughs> well, you know, it it was a parliamentarian in England, Edmund Burke, who said the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. Ninety seconds. So let's yeah. do something and start with yourself. Empower yourself, take care of yourself, respect yourself, learn to trust yourself. There are five gifts that you need to have within yourself. That's honesty, safety, trust, respect, and reliability. I wrote about that in Python for Couples. You have to have those things within yourself so that you can have them to give to others and to other relationships. That's the first work. Well, everybody listening, you guys can get uh, more information and find all the other places you can get a hold of Roberta uh, at uh, Facebook, Relationship Health Doctor. If you go there, I think they can probably get to everything else that you've got, right? Yes. Excellent. Dr. Shaler, thank you so much for being here. This was really, really fun. Uh, thank I had a you. Great time. 
I hope Thank you, you for your <laughs> great questions. Really good questions, Jack. Thank you both, Gina and Jack. And Dr. Shaler, I do have a partner in another business that is all about helping vic- what she calls victims of narcissistic abuse. I've got to get you in touch with Kim Saeed, my partner in that business, because, boy, the JVs you guys could do are going to get you out to so many more people. So thank you so much for being here. I'll make thank that introduction you. in a little bit. Thank you. Have a great week, everybody. And we will be back same time, same place next week. I'm so glad that Dr. Shaler was able to come in today and help us make sense of this crazy world we're living in a little bit. See you all next week. Tune in next week for another episode of Leverage Masters. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook on our Leverage Blackbook page to keep up with the latest. We'll see you next time on Leverage Masters.